Uh, well, friends, as you can see, I'm here uh, wearing my U13 garb. I'm all labelled up for the day and came in the vehicle all labelled up. And just in case you hadn't worked it out, yeah, I labelled up the screen as well. Uh, I'm all labelled up, but we're here in church on Australia Day weekend. And so to express our, our common label, there's something we really simply must do. Are you ready? Let's go. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Aussie. Aussie, 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 Aussie. Ah, that feels so much better. Okay, now just so you know, following the service, there's going to be a choice between Vegemite or Sausage Sangers followed by a Lamington, okay? Now, you're welcome to join us if you have uh, some Indigenous heritage that you can point to or if you've got flags on your car, if you're wearing thongs, possibly green or yellow, and if you've got anything that's made in Australia. If you don't fit into those categories, I'm sorry, no supper for you. Uh, now, we'll accept those things, of course, because, well, this is the weekend where we remember who we are and we need to wear our Aussie label loud and proud. At least that's what the TV keeps telling me. And if we're true blue, then, of course, we are going to make sure that we spend the rest of the year living that label also, remembering that we're Australians first and last in everything. So what about us Christians? What label do we wear? And what label is most important to us? Are we Australians first and last who just happen to be Christians also? Christians only when it doesn't conflict with our national identity? Or are we Australians uh, who, no, or are we Christians first and last? Christians who just happen to live in Australia, who just happen to live in Jamboree. That's a challenging difference, isn't it? And while we might prefer to, you know, kind of blend our labels in together, it's true to say that we might soon reach a day in Australia when we're asked to choose between them. And when that day comes, which label will you choose? Which one will you wear? Which one will you reject? Are you Australian? Or are you Christian? It's kind of ouch, isn't it? That's uncomfortable. But you know what? Even though our country doesn't think like this yet, our God already does. Our Heavenly Father is really serious about us living our label, the label that he has given us. In fact, as far as God is concerned in the Bible, our Christian identity is more than just what we do for 90 minutes once a week in church and what we write on the census every time it comes around, each four years. Uh, living the label Christian means that we need to make choices in every moment of every day about a massive range of things, choosing to live very differently to the people around us. And that's what we're checking out tonight as we come to this Bible passage, which is Ephesians 4, 17 to 5.20. Now, in your church Bibles, it's there on page 897, if you want to follow there. I'll also have it on the screen as I read it out. But let me say this quickly first. If you're not a Christian yet and you're visiting here tonight, then please know that the instructions I'm about to read out are not for you. They're not meant for you to try and live these things. No, this Bible passage is written to those who are Christians already. Now that said, please don't you know, turn on the screensaver and switch off for the next 20 minutes or so. Rather, 
Maybe you could treat this as an opportunity to kick the tyres a bit, to figure out whether this is the kind of life you want to live if you decide to love Jesus and join us in following him. Think about it that way. But for the rest of us, well, we're Christians already. Our God is addressing us. Let's hear what he has to say. Ephesians 4, 17 to 5, verse 20. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for... Anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, 
but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. It's extensive, isn't it? And isn't it great? It's very, very clear, but there's a lot here to get our heads around. So let's pause right at this moment and ask God to help us as we think about this together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God and that you do not leave us in the dark. You speak very clearly and you've caused these words to be recorded so that we might have them before us tonight and be able to think about them and because we are your people, to think about how to conform our lives to these things and to wrestle with the struggle that we have in doing that. Oh, Father, please help us by your Spirit now. Give us the attention we need to the things you want us to see and know and hear. And please give me the words and the way to say them that will be of most help to us all. And we ask this for the honour of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, clearly there's, there's tons and tons there in every sentence, and every sentence is worth us studying in detail, bit by bit by bit. But... For today, let's just stand back from that and look at the whole thing together. For when we do, there's five things here that I just can't escape that I'm wanting to share with you today. They are these. Number one, according to God, there's a world of difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in how we act and think and, well, pretty much in everything. Massive difference. Two, all of these differences are visible. Christians live our label, living our label, simply cannot stay hidden. We are visible to all the world. Three, the reason why we Christians can actually do these things and should do these things is tied up with our label. It's tied up with our identity as God's people, his beloved family members. Four, we Christians are to live this out in community, together, helping each other, with each other, and for each other's benefit. Five, well, we Christians have freedom to choose whether we will live this way or not. What are those five? A, there's a world of difference. Our differences are visible to everyone. We live like this because of our identity. Our identity creates community and we're free to choose. Difference, visibility, identity, community, freedom. Let's consider why they're so important and how they come out here. I'd like to show you this and make sure that you can see it. We kick off, of course, with the first one, difference. I was converted at age 19. I did not grow up as a Christian or in a Christian family or in a Christian church. I had no idea what that was all about, pretty much. And at that age of 19, becoming a Christian was a change from death to life, from darkness to light, from uncertainty to clarity, from despair to absolute hope, to certain hope. For me, the difference between being a non-Christian and becoming a Christian couldn't be more obvious because I lived it. 
However, that was a few years ago now, if you can't tell. And the older I get and the further it is from that moment, well, the fuzzier those differences get in my mind. Likewise, the differences can be a bit fuzzy for those of us in the room who grew up always knowing Jesus, who have only ever known what it is to be a Christian. The differences, well, they're not necessarily as clear. And let's face it, living day to day, the similarities that we have with other people in our country seem to be more important than the differences, don't they? And so those differences just kind of fade into grey and we want to put them to one side. Well, friends, this is where God's word to us in the Bible is so wonderfully helpful and so vital for us. Because unlike our memories and our experiences, God's word doesn't fade to grey with time or circumstance. It stays sharp enough to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It makes very, very clear what we like to make fuzzy. And that's what's going on right here. Read back through this passage and we could make uh, a list. We could make two columns and fill one side with all the things that describe a non-Christian, a Gentile, an unbelieving Australian. And we could fill the other side with the things that describe a Christian, a member of God's family. Everything mentioned in this passage fits in one or other of those two columns. Now, you're all intelligent people. And so I'm not going to fill that list for you. And I'm suggesting that with this long weekend, with all this extra time we have available to us, an extra whole day, how about you pause and do this as you start the year and think about how am I going to live this year? Make up your two columns and separate the passage. But don't just do that. Go the next step and look at your two columns and reflect on which things in each column, which bits and pieces... Look like you and reflect your daily life. I would suggest that like me, every Christian here will be a mixture of both of those columns. Like me, you may not be too thrilled by what you discover. I know I wasn't when I did this. And that's the point. Making these things clear gives us reason for humble confession. That confession prayer we said before, What were the sins that came to mind, the things that you needed to change and bring to God? Well, this list is probably going to show you if you're not sure. It gives us reason for humble confession. It will fuel our prayers for forgiveness. And it will, of course, supply also the energy we need to change and what we need to change to. Because we don't just repent from something. We don't just turn away from something. We turn to something. Well, Let's work out and separate those things out. And this passage does that for us. Because at the end of the day, nothing about our lives are hidden and secret. Because we are children of light, we've come into the light, and of course it's the light that makes everything visible. So don't let it go to grey, make it visible. And of course, well, actually, that leads us straight into our next concept, our next word, doesn't it? Well, visibility. Uh, Going back to my conversion again, back in the early 90s, uh, anyone was alive back then? There's a few of us in the room, I think. Okay, it wasn't just me. For those of you who weren't alive back then, check this out, history lesson, here it comes. What was it like to be an Aussie, Aussie, Aussie back then? Well, it was actually quite easy to be both a Christian and an Australian 
back in the early 90s because most things about living as a Christian were still normal and commonplace in public life in Australia. Of everything listed in this passage, in the early 90s, only greed had switched from being unacceptable and had become acceptable. Greed was in Australia in the 90s was acceptable, it was respectable, and it was now desirable for all Australians. Now, of course, we didn't call it greed. We gave it a new clean label. We called it economic progress. We called it increasing our living standards. And everyone wants that because that's good for everyone, isn't it? Yes, said all Australians. And it's really easy to live alongside greed as a Christian because all we've got to do is make sure we're just not quite as greedy as the other guy, right? We just, just sit beneath them a little bit and we can improve everything too. Well, it's quite easy to be a Christian. And we can still hide as a Christian in the general population and still say, well, everyone in Australia is a Christian because we all look pretty Christian, don't we? Well, that was in the daytime. But something different was going on in the night, in the 90s. See, in the dark, away from my parents, amongst the generation I grew up with, everything else in this passage was normal, respectable, and desirable. Our parents didn't know it, but amongst my friends, drunkenness, sexual immorality, lies, rage, theft, harsh words, and obscene talk were precisely what we did in secret, and that's what we boasted about to one another. So when I became a Christian, all of a sudden, in the daytime, it didn't make much difference. But in the night, with my friends, I was terribly visible. Absolutely visible. In the daytime, it was just about the difference with greed. But at night, amongst my friends, my newfound Christian faith was like being a bright light in a dark place. Now, at first, they were very kind to me. They thought, gee, I wonder what's happened to Mike. I wonder if he's okay. They thought there was something, you know, gone a bit weird with me, maybe. It didn't last long. The compassion didn't last long. In fact, it didn't take long before they became completely hostile. And they became hostile, as this passage says, because this new light from the Lord was exposing and making visible everything that they wanted to hide. Now, that's back in the 90s. And we're living now, well, we've gone from the 90s to the noughties to the teens. What's this? The 20s, I guess, is what we're now calling it, right? Well, here we are. And make no mistake, living like a Christian now in the daytime is like wearing a high-vis vest amongst people at a black-tie dinner. You're really going to stand out as a Christian. We're visible now. Now, uh, well, mostly it's like that now is because my friends who were back there when we were just teenagers in the 90s, we're now in our 40s and 50s and running the country. So guess what's changed? Everything that used to be hidden in the dark has now come into the light. And it's now perfectly acceptable and respectable and desirable and worth boasting about to do every single thing on this list. Now my age group is in charge of the country, drunkenness, sexual immorality, Lies, rage, harsh words and obscene talk are commonplace, acceptable, respectable, even desirable. Now, you'll be pleased to know that theft hasn't been added to that list yet. We didn't manage to do that one. 
we've left something for the next generation. So you guys who are younger, that's what you've got to work on. You've got to make that acceptable, respectable, okay? That's your job if you're not a Christian. And it's for this reason that now, if we're going to follow Jesus and be his peace people, we will stand out. We will be visible. There is nothing we can hide. And that's scary, isn't it? And that's one of the reasons why we don't choose to live differently as Christians. We don't choose to live differently out there in the world because we get exposed. And none of us like to be visible that much, do we? Well, thankfully, God knows our problem and he knows why. And he goes out of his way in this passage to show us everything that changes everything, show us something that changes everything by reminding us who we are. And that, of course, is our next big concept, the concept of our identity. A quick question, a quick show of hands here. Uh, do you ever wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and wonder who it is looking back at you? No, I don't either. Um, I don't either because I don't forget who I am. You know, I, I'm not quite there yet. It might happen one day. I might not like, look. Uh, I might not like the look of what I see, but that doesn't change who I am. Well, so too for us Christians. Our Christian label is more than it's more than just a label that we wear. Like when we you know put something on as we come in here to church, it's more than just a label we put on and pull off. It's actually who we are, and we need to not forget who we are. <laughs> And consider how weird it would have been, how dangerous it would have been if our Anzac soldiers at Gallipoli had forgotten who they were, had forgotten which side they were on. It wouldn't have worked very well, would it? Uh, only soldiers who remember their identity will have the courage and the boldness to do what needs to be done. Forget who you are? Well, that's all going to go, isn't it? Well, so too for us Christians, forget who we are and forget what we're supposed to be, then we will actually forget why we live like we live. Our identity is the thing that guides us and directs us in all our choices, and most importantly, it motivates us. Who we are is what motivates our choices. So being visibly different to the people around us is like being one of those soldiers in the trenches in the First World War. If you stick your head up, you're going to be visible and everyone's going to take a shot at you. Why would you stick your head up? You wouldn't, because you're afraid. But if we remember who we are, what will we do? Like all those Aussie soldiers, we'll go over the top because we know who we are and we're motivated to do what is the right thing to do. But if we forget, if we become Christian amnesiacs and we forget who we are, then we're in trouble. So God knows this about us, and so to combat this problem, in this passage of all these instructions about being different in all these different ways, he constantly holds up the mirror to us and reminds us of who we are as we read through it. Now, it's everywhere here throughout this passage, but for the sake of brevity, let me show you on the screen what it looks like. This is reading back through from 4 verse 30 to 5 verse 3. It says there, uh, Do not bring sorrow to God's holy people by the way you live, Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God, 
Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Now, hopefully you can tell all the bits I stuck in bold, they're all the identity bits. So in between every instruction, before the next instruction comes along, there's this reminder of who we are, and it grounds it in all different parts of our identity as Christians. So this passage goes instruction, then identity reminder, then instruction, then identity reminder over and over and over again. And we need those reminders, don't we? Because if we don't remember that we are members of God's family, then there's no reason to live like one. But if we remember who we are and how we got this precious identity from God as a gift from him, then living our lives together, living out that identity, of course, is where we belong. And that's where we Christians belong, isn't it? We belong together. We belong doing these things together. And that's good because that's our fourth concept. It's that word community. Community is a funny word. Everyone likes to splash community around. Again, we're at Australia Day, so we've got an Australian community. We hear it in all kinds of different settings. So what, what, what is a community? Well, c- community is what happens when humans get together and have a common cause. Uh, it doesn't have to be a good cause or a noble cause. It just has to be a cause that everyone agrees on. That's why bikey games exist and are so functional and successful. Uh, Triads and the Mafia, they're up there too, living together for a common goal. It doesn't have to be criminal, of course, for you to have a good community. It it could be a knitting club, making booties for newborn babies. It could be a mother's union or a sporting club or a a suburb, a town, a country, uh, well, even one like Australia. It's a community that has a common set of things all doing the same stuff at the same time, a common cause. Now, some communities get so close that they call themselves families. I recently joined a gym. If you can't tell, I'm looking way better than I used to. Thanks. Uh, And this gym, it calls itself the Beachside Family. Now, you know, I don't have to pay to go into my family at home, but I've got to pay to go to this family. That's okay, but we've got this common cause. And interestingly, the common cause is encouraging each other to be, well, they'd say better people. I'd just say more fit and healthy. And the funny thing is, I thought this is, this is a strange thing to do, but the moment I was there and I'm sweating along with other people who are encouraging me, I think, yeah, actually, this is a bit of a community. It's all, so, it's all, it's all a bit too close, but it's, it's very encouraging. And for some people, the gym is the only place they ever receive positive encouragement. Tragically, a gym community can be, well, better than their family back home. Thankfully, I'm not in that that group of people. But indeed, it's true. And this is true also when it comes to us Christians. As, As Christians, community is central to who we are, which is why you did what you did this evening and came and gathered together. We express our community as we gather In the Bible, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian, as as someone out there on their own. There's only Christians within the church because God brings them into the church. That's how it works. And even if we're hurt by other people at church, that doesn't give us any excuse to leave according to God. In fact, according to God, that now informs how we stay together. That's rather odd, isn't it? But check it out, verses 31 and 32. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness? In the church? For someone else at church who hurt me? Unbelievable! Who'd think of such a thing? Well, only God, who invented this community and called us into it. And the reason he did is because he brings us together with a common cause. And the common cause of the church is not the same as a, a bikey gang or a mother's club or a country. Our common cause is actually quite different. The common cause of the church family doesn't include my personal goals or my personal comfort my personal will I be offended or not this week, it doesn't include my personal glory. Rather, our common cause is all about how we help each other to follow God more clearly, more nearly, more dearly. How we help each other to follow our Lord Jesus, to follow the Saviour as we sang. Check it out again in these verses. These ones are in the Bible. I'm just going to read them out. Maybe you write them down. But our common cause, it's listed throughout here. Verse 24, it's to put on our new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. We help each other to do that. And it's there again in verse 30. To not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way we live. As there in 5 verse 1. To help each other to imitate God. And there in verse 2, to... Follow the example of Christ. It's there in verse 5, to inherit the kingdom of God. And in verse 10, to carefully determine what pleases the Lord and to help each other to do that. Verse 17, to understand what the Lord wants us to do. And verse 18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Goals like these, a common cause like this, can only be achieved in community, and they require Christians working together, consciously participating and choosing to play our part like a whole bunch of people in a rowing boat, all rowing the same direction at the same time, following the call of the stroke of our Master, our Lord Jesus, who calls the stroke, rather than taking up our oars and bashing each other with them, which is more fun and possibly more interesting. And there are sadly lots of examples of that in lots of churches. But what are we supposed to do? Put your oar back, mate. Start rowing and let's row together. The boat's supposed to be in the water. The water's not supposed to be in the boat. So let's live like Christians in a sea of difficulty together. God's way. Playing our part his way. But we do have a choice, don't we? We actually have freedom to choose whether we're going to use our oar to row or whether we're going to belt each other with them. And that's important because that's the last concept here. It's that word freedom. Freedom. All about our freedom to choose. And here's some good news for you. Uh, we Christians have a freedom that no other human has in the world today. Did you know that? We are more free than anyone else. We are free to choose 
whether we will follow God's way, whether we will live God's way, or whether we won't. Isn't this great? You, you can choose as you're sitting here whether you're going to listen or not. You, you probably worked that choice out. But you can also choose that about every single thing else. And this is good because no one likes to be stuck or trapped or enslaved. We all prefer multiple choice and freedom to choose. And, and the greatest paradox alive in our world today is that no one has more freedom of choice than the Christian does. Did you catch that? People say that we're slaves, that we have no freedom, but actually they're wrong. And, and this passage says they're wrong. Uh, they're hopelessly confused, verse 17 of chapter 4 says. No one has more freedom to choose than the Christian does in the realms of our personal conduct, in the issues of our identity, in the pursuit of various pleasures, in our chances to enjoy the world around us, in the choices that are for us with relationships and how we think and what we care about and our moods and our passions and our attitudes and our words and, and on and on and on it goes, no one has more freedom to choose than the Christian. And this whole passage is about that freedom and, and calling on us to express that freedom and to choose God's way rather than choosing the non-Christian's way. Verse 17, it starts with that, chapter 4. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Choose to live differently. You can choose. You can choose to live their confused way or you can choose to, lose, you choose to live my way, says the Lord. And you can only make a command like that to someone who has the freedom to choose. If someone doesn't have a choice about how they live, asking them to do this is, well, it's foolish, isn't it? It'd be nonsense. It's kind of like me walking up to our dog Maggie when I get home later on saying, Maggie, I'd like you to choose to no longer be a dog. I'd like you to choose to be a bird. And she just looks at me, wags her tail. Now, she's not stupid. It's true, she can't understand human language, but why? Because she's a dog, not a bird yet. She's a dog. <laughs> she's a dog. Uh, she doesn't have the freedom to choose how she lives. She's a dog, she's a dog, she's a dog, dog, dog. Well, likewise, the non-Christian. Did you notice this passage doesn't bother commanding non-Christians in Ephesus to change their lives? It's not speaking to them because they don't have that kind of freedom. They don't have it. They're not inheritors of the kingdom of God. They're thoughtlessly ignorant, this passage says. They're full of darkness and they don't even know it. But friends, you and I, who know and love the Lord Jesus, are not. And this passage is talking to us. By God's Spirit, every Christian has the freedom to choose how we'll live today, how we'll live tonight, and how we will live tomorrow. And therefore, that leaves us with just one very important question that everyone needs to answer. Are you ready for it? Here it is. This Australia Day, and for the rest of 2020, which will you choose? Which label will you choose? Will you live the label God has given us, carefully choosing, sorry, carefully choosing different visible actions that declare your membership in the family of God? Or will you be living the label of an Australian who has closed their mind and hardened their heart against God. I'll say it again. It's a clear choice. 
Will we be living the label God's given us? Choosing to live different, visible actions that declare our identity in God's family? Or will we live the label of the Australians around us who've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him? Well, we're Christians, so we have a choice. And the choice is ours. And may God help us to choose him. Amen.